Hey everybody, welcome to This Week in the MLS DG Podcast. I'm Spencer Smith. I'm here with Avery Gorn. Guys, it's been a little bit. It's been about a week or two. I take full responsibility finals. Definitely got the best of me last week, but MLS just kept going. It didn't respect my final schedule, which made it a little difficult, but... uh Nevertheless, we have a ton of stuff to uncover, guys. But first and foremost, Avery, how are you doing today? You doing good? Good as I can. Good as you can, right? It's the middle of the week. We got a whole week ahead of us before uh, we got some MLS, except we don't. MLS is going to be kicking off Wednesday this week. Unlike the other weeks, this is our first double week that we have. So it's kind of exciting, but there's also a lot to break down since we haven't been here for a hot minute And so what we wanted to do with you guys, we have a bunch of stuff planned today. We do have another special guest for us that we'll introduce in just a moment. But we have some some games that we want to break down for you guys. Uh, We're going to break down just five for you. Some of the big ones that had a lot of meaningful moments or some great things or some big storylines that we're going to break down a little bit. We also just got the Nations League preliminary roster set up. Greg Berhalter has named a pool of 40 players. We're not going to dive too much into it. Perhaps just do a little bit of a a quick view to keep you in the loop and make sure you're aware of what uh, we could see in the games that we have ahead of us. That final roster is going to be being announced officially at the end of May, May 25th, I believe. And then, of course, guys, I know that the news hit uh, Instagram, Twitter, all your social medias this week. The Columbus Soccer Club I guess is what I've got to say now. The Columbus crew just kind of came off the tongue, but that's a that's a weird thing, and that's kind of where we have our special guest. We're going to be having Ty Fisher join us. Um, he's a uh, been covering the crew for several years, um, and we're going to be introducing him a little bit later on in the podcast to kind of break down what that Columbus rebrand has looked like in the city of Columbus itself with some of the protests that have been going on. And then, guys, we are officially one month into MLS we got to highlight some winners and some losers. We're going to end the show with that. But let's get this kicked off today with some match recap. Avery, the first game that you and I were like, this is a game that we've got to look at from this past weekend, was, of course, the El Trafico. LA Galaxy get the win 2-1 over LAFC. What? Right off the bat, what is sticking out to you here? The Chicharito train keeps going. Chicharito keeps going. It's true. Granted, I don't know if he really should have been, and I kind of want to get your thoughts on that. I mean, he got the opening goal. For those of you guys who haven't seen it, it was a really good sliding tackle. I don't remember who got the sliding tackle, but it hit it to him into space. But that looked very, very questionable there. What do you think? Yeah, it's hard to tell whether he was offside on that one. I'm more impressed than anything purely by the Galaxy's capacity to create chances out of nothing. I mean, you look at that... The, the the tackle from Derek Williams. Okay, that's who gets, gave the tackle, yeah. You know, gets gets to the ball ahead of Cifuentes, kind of, you know, muscles him off of it, pops favorably to Chicharito. Uh, it, it's just it's a carbon copy of virtually every goal that they've scored this season. They, you know, bunker, they bunker, they bunker. Uh, you know, they get some some space in the opposition half. It's not like they're working with such a, you know, phenomenal playmaker or anything, but they just win the ball in good spots and immediately, you know, turn that into an opportunity. It, it, I think that's one thing that Chicharito, though, that favors him, right? It doesn't matter if this is a very skillful buildup or anything like that. 
he's kind of that fox in the box. He needs half a chance. And if you can just get him an opportunity, he's going to get shots on target. He's going to get goals. We saw that those opportunities did not come last season. And that explains two goals, right? But this season, the new acquisitions, I think the biggest one being Greg Vanny, right? The new coaching system being implemented there has transformed Chicharito. It's revived him in a lot of respects. I don't know. Is that going too far? No, no, I completely agree. I think it's a system that plays better to his strengths. I mean, yeah, you do have to, to speak to the, some of the the added quality that they have as a team. You look at, you know, they don't just have someone like Pavon as the main creative outlet, but Victor Vasquez has looked, you know, a nice creator. You have a guy like Samuel Grandseer. You have Sebastian Legette. You have multiple guys, but it's all with the same idea. Yeah. You know, they're, they're going to hunker down, concede possession, but when the time comes, have that counter press, win possession in good spots, whether it's a header, whether it's a tackle, and just immediately get on the ball and not create opportunities. It, it, it reminds me a little bit of um, the New York Red Bulls. Uh, actually, no, I take that back. If you look at uh, Atlanta in the first year with Miguel Almiron, oh, okay. their ability to get onto the ball uh, after an opposition's chance and just immediately counter with pace. You know, in this particular case, it was Almiron was just so quick on the dribble. But with the Galaxy, they're just winning it up the field. They're winning it in good spots. And uh, as an opposition team, you can't turn the ball over in your own half. No, you and can't. You can't. Immediately it's creating chances for the Galaxy. And that's just it's it's brilliant tactically from from uh from Vanny. Yeah, and it's not hundred percent of what we saw in Toronto either. So I kind of like that. It's similar. There's some aspects of of the of the press at times, but I just like how Vanny's able to come into a new system and he's able to rebuild with the pieces that are that he has and he's able to make the few acquisitions that he needs. I'm excited to see uh, a season long with uh, their new acquisition who's getting started. Uh, Cabral, if I remember that right, that's uh, going to be an exciting move and only going to strengthen them, which LA is already looking, the Galaxy in particular, are looking very threatening. Um, and we saw it just like you were talking about where they were getting opportunistic. We saw that at the end of the game as well. Chicharito hitting that nice little cross to Dos Santos. I could be completely wrong, but I've heard rumors that that goal got so much attention and so much fire that there was like a little tiny earthquake reported in in Southern California right <laughs> when they scored that goal. And, and I don't know if that's people overreacting, but it's exciting nonetheless. That was a very fun game. One thing I want to talk to you about this before we move on is actually with LAFC. Okay, we talked a lot about LA Galaxy and whatnot. LAFC, the acquisition, because Carlos Vela's been injured, right? I get everybody was like, Oh, he got subbed off in a weird way in the very first game. As much as Bob Bradley tried to make that sound like a mistake, it's not. It's been a month of soccer. Vela has not featured. There's no real timeline for when he's coming back. So the acquisition then of Corey Baird has been critical. And I, I'm just impressed with how much he's thriving in Bob Bradley's system. And I'm curious what you notice about Corey Baird, of course, being traded from Real Salt Lake to Southern California to find LAFC. What are your thoughts with that move? 
he he's the only one right now in that front line that looks like he has the capacity to stretch the field. Yeah. And I think they missed that massively against the Galaxy. There's a certain fragility in this LAFC side right now. And you look at it, they had the majority of the chances, particularly in the first half. They passed incredibly well, but Bob Bradley has them trying to pass the ball into the net. Now, don't get me wrong, it worked on the Diego Rossi goal. It was a gorgeous goal, but... Yeah. You know, I, I'd much rather see Musovski in that front three than Cifuentes. Cifuentes is not a winger. He's playing out on the side, and he just didn't have any pace. He didn't make any yeah. any threatening runs. It's great if you can retain the ball, but you're not going to really threaten teams when they have, you know, everything in front of them because they can set up effectively defensively and just put, you know, 10 guys behind the ball and say, break us down. Yeah, no, and I think... I think that uh, LAFC, Bob Bradley, he recognizes that. Obviously, Carlos Vela is the ideal for the other wing. It was great to get Diego Rossi back uh, just a week or two ago against Houston, but being able to get his first goal, remember, he's the reigning Golden Boot winner, and he was able to just get off the mark, just like some other certain people, cough, cough, Josef Martinez, who scored this weekend finally. Uh, but it's it's a good thing to see that happening, but I agree with you. There were times that as great as Baird is, he can't do it alone, and and Rossi's still getting back to thing. And and you're right, Sifuentes is the option up there that, in in the absence of Vela, should be the go-to. Um, but you know what, Bob Bradley's call, Bob Bradley's loss, LA Galaxy win that game two to one over their arch rivals LAFC in El Trafico. As we move forward, this is one game that uh, caught all the highlights. For, depending on who you rooted for, for all the right or wrong reasons, okay? Colorado Rapids get the come-from-behind win over Minnesota United. All three goals coming in the second half to win 3-2 to two over Minnesota United. That means, Ivory, that the wooden spoon right now is being held by Minnesota through the first month with an astounding zero points through four matches, right? That's they bad. They uh, they have a death grip on that spoon. Yeah, I, I think I mean since he's at least got a point, right? Uh, but Minnesota Adrian Heath, I guess, really leaning into that underdog role that he's just so openly embraces. But this is uncharacteristic of a Minnesota United side that went toe to toe with Seattle in the Western Conference Finals just a few months ago. Look, I know we ask ourselves this every week, but I saw that lineup and I thought. What is Adrian Heath doing? I mean, Lode is the false nine. Reynoso and Dotson is wingers. Three defensive midfielders. And then in the second half, he brings a right back off for a winger when they're 2-1 up. And then Reynoso, guy who is, you know, within a shout for MVP easily, gets taken off for center back at 2-2. And they still lose. Yep. Yep. I, here's... (laughs) Minnesota, man, they're the team that we've talked about in previous podcasts that like you love the team, you kind of hate Adrian Heath because it's just like the underdog thing gets a little old. But this is just raising so many questions for me about what he's trying to do because it's just not working, right? And I get that everyone's just like, okay, they've got the they've got the DP striker and uh, Adrian Hanu, if I'm pronouncing it correctly, who's going to be coming in, and that could be great, and that could be somebody to help Reynoso, but. You would still expect this side, this caliber, to get points 
at this point of the season. They're 12 points in the hole this so far in a Western conference. That is not a situation you want to get yourself into. I mean, it's it's firmly on his shoulders. You look at that game, they're 2 nothing up. It's two great goals. You know, uh, Reynoso scores a phenomenal free kick. Beautiful. Then there's some really unselfish play from Load uh, to, you know, pass it across the, the box to Asani Dodson. They looked nice in the second in the in the first half, you know, particularly offensively, but the the choices look, I don't hate uh, Robin Lloyd as a false nine and uh, Reynoso as a winger. Look, he's gonna find the game no matter where he is. But you know, you have a, a fit Ramon Avila on the bench. You have, like you said, Hunu coming in. Uh Will Trapp has not done anything remarkable you know you're better off putting Dotson next to um (laughs) whatever whatever his name name is the the gentleman from from Finland um uh you know playing that 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 two holding system where Dotson's gonna be your box to box guy he looks better there as a than he does as a winger anyway yeah you know Put natural wingers on the pitch. Put Lord in his preferred position. Have you know Ethan Finley the other side of him. Put Reynoso in, in the natural ten. And who doesn't matter who it is, whether it's Hanu, whether it's it's Abila. You know you spend a bunch of money on both of them, but like play guys in their proper play. positions. Yep, yep. Here's here's one thing I want to ask you about before I look at Colorado. Um, an immediate availability thing that happened earlier today. I got this quote that I think. It just made my jaw drop a little bit, okay? Because I was just like, dude, Adrian Heath, what are you thinking here? He was asked about wingers, Justin McMaster and Patrick Weah, who have been who've been coming on at the end of matches and have been doing, like, all right. Um, and honestly, pretty good. I believe especially McMaster's had an assist or a goal already so far in this season. Um, that's more product than most of the starting lineup has been able to put out when asked whether or not these younger players were close to getting starts, Adrian Heath, this is his response, okay, word for word, I'm reading it off my phone, says, quote, not yet, we've thrown them on and they've impressed to a certain amount, but at this moment in time, I think this is a situation for experienced people, people who've been through this type of thing before, not for young guys, maybe throwing them on Here's the part that gets me. Maybe throwing them on with 20 minutes to go when you feel as though you've got nothing to lose. That might be a different set. They're a little bit away from starting a game. And, I mean, wow. Look, I, I might be biased because McMaster is a former Union Academy player, but these guys have impressed. We know they've got pace. We've not... No, we know that they've got the ability to run at guys. And it, it just... It screams old school British manager to me, which don't get me wrong, Adrian Heath is, let, let's call yeah. him, you know, a spade a spade. But it, it's so, you know, it's so such old thinking to not trust your young guys. You know, I get that Minnesota don't have that many homegrowns and maybe that's a reflection more of just, you know, the environment that they're in, that they haven't quite built up the academy yet. They're not that old a team. But like, you know, if if you're good enough, you're old enough. Yeah, and the thing that gets me is when he's talking about, and I get that, look, they may not be ready, and he's there in practice, I get it. 
But when he's saying that the best time to bring on his younger players is with 20 minutes when he knows he has nothing to lose, in what way does that challenge these guys? In what way is this being able to test them to say like, hey, like, Adrian, Heath, like, look at me. Like, I can do this. I can make a difference here. Give me a starting spot and I'll prove it to you from the opening whistle. You need to put these guys in those situations if you're going to see them grow to be able to handle those situations in the future. At some point, you got to trust him. And to be frank, the experienced group that he's talking about has not got it done through the opening month. It has not worked. And I do think that that's something in the weeks ahead to keep your eye on, okay? Because if we look at the flip side, Colorado Rapids, they are a team that has embraced their youth. Last year being huge evidence of that. Continuing this year, of course, they get the win here. What do you notice from the Colorado Rapids side in this comeback? Well, look, I mean, you have to give credit to them first and foremost. Uh, but that first goal, I mean, my goodness, Kellen Acosta with oh, yeah. just an actual goal of the season candidate. And quite frankly, a couple minutes before, uh, Cole Bassett and Keegan Rosenberry almost had their own version of that. Yep. Um, you know, nobody to blame on that one, but the second goal and the third goal, honestly, goalkeeping mistakes from St. Clair. I hate to say it because I'm a big fan, but uh, he, you know, he doesn't get you know full hands onto the ball for that second one, and they tap in the rebound. Yeah. And then on the third goal, it's a set piece. The six Minnesota players, you know, Danny Wilson's completely unmarked. As a goalkeeper, you have to organize your defenders on set pieces. Yeah, I, I get that there's a lot of... A lot of Colorado's comeback can be placed on the shoulders of Minnesota failing, but that should take nothing away from the resolve that it takes for a young Colorado team to get this kind of a result because Kellen Acosta is one of their veterans, and he's like, what, 25? And the other guys around him are not much older. They're not, if any. I mean, you can look at some players who got some more veteran experience like a Price, um, and whatnot, but large part, this is a young team. You, of course, got Cole Bassett, as you mentioned. Rosenberry Vines are all young players, and Abubakar on the bench, um, hopefully being able to get back to a start here soon enough. It's just, um, I, I like the direction that Colorado's going. You never want to leave it to a second half, but it can be very exciting when it happens. Again, this one finishes 3-2 Colorado Rapids. Get the three points, thanks to Akella and Acosta, Golazo to spark a comeback. But here's the thing, that wasn't even the best goal of the weekend at all. Not even, not even close, okay? I'm going to say two words, and if you are a soccer fan, you will have seen this goal by now. Rubio Rubin, okay? That's it. The bicycle kick heard around the world. That was a stunner, right? Just off the bat, we're going to highlight this Real Salt Lake versus San Jose talking about those comebacks. But first of all, Ivory, just blanket takeaways from this game. Of course, there's the Golosos that that happened at the very beginning with Rubin and the bike. And then, of course, at the end, we have the Wando story. So which one caught your eye more here? I mean, it's it's such a tale of, of contrasting styles, right? Because on the one hand, San Jose, you know, very much a veteran presence, uh, you know, all the guys that were brought over from Liga Mekis, uh, Wando doing Wando things as he does, you know, just scoring u- ugly tap-ins and, and getting the job done. Though we have to give credit to, you know, Cade Cowell, 
who look, it's nice to see a, a young guy in a veteran team actually make uh, an impact. And then on the flip side, I mean, that Ruby or Rubin goal, it's like it's Stoke meets Barcelona. You have a freaking overhead kick off of a <laughs> throw-in. It was really nice. Like, if you guys have not seen it at this point, the little flick on from Krylock, but it's the trap that he takes with his chest to be able to set himself up for it. And if you look at the replay, I swear, and no one listening to this can see my fingers but you, Ivory, so I need you to appreciate it. This close to getting <laughs> hit by the goalie and even that much closer to getting hit by the post. He put it in just the perfect place. Of course he's going to say he meant to do that. And you know what? I'm going to believe him this time because that was just a beautiful goal. You have to appreciate it too because I've seen them go wrong. You know, in all my years of playing soccer, you always have the the guy on your team who's going to try it just for the heck of it in a practice or yeah. you know, in a game that you're already losing or something like that. And, you know, I've seen plenty of guys get kicked to the face. And <laughs> that's why it's just beautiful when it actually works out. Yeah, as being one of the people who was kicked in the face on bicycle kick, I can do a test to that. That is a very true thing. It happened in, it happened in high school, by the way. We were playing our rivals. Guy tries to bike it. Right as I headed out, it wasn't even close. It hit my jaw, hit right here. It wasn't close to the ball because I headed it well away. But anywho, got the free kick at least. But I mean, guys, let's look at this game for what it is. Ever, you kind of touched on it there with the veteran experience of San Jose, just from a soccer perspective. Um, Real Salt Lake kind of going not necessarily in a crazy younger direction, but um, these guys for Almeida. Also know him. They're coming over from from Liga Mexi and and they know what he wants and they know how to find Wando. Okay, Wando subs on, and it's just painful whenever you watch him come onto a team and you watch him somehow end up unmarked, and you just gotta shake your head like what. What are you guys doing? You know that that is the MLS all-time leading goal scorer. He finds two goals late here, and they're both the Wando type of goals. What do you got to say about Wando himself? I mean, look, I know the guy gets a lot of uh, of smack for the miss, and everyone knows what I'm talking about. Yes. But the guy just gets it done in MLS. I mean, it, it, it's wild because you look at that game through 73 minutes, and you go, there's no way RSL is losing that game. They're completely dominating, and then they just get oh, punished yeah. for not getting a second goal. Yeah, and it's difficult. I mean, I watched that game, and RSL hit the post twice. Justin Merrim had a really good game. If you haven't watched it, he did really good. Subbed off at about the 70th minute, and and I think that, in retrospect, I don't know if Freddy Juarez made the right subs like Almeida did, um, but that's here or there. The result stands as it is. This one is, honestly, it was really exciting to see two teams at the top of the Western Conference, as weird as it may be, in San Jose and Real Salt Lake, duking it out in what ended up being a thrilling end. They're going to meet up later on in the season, and that's going to be a must-watch game because these are two teams that everybody, I think, heavily underrated going into the season, but both are not letting go of their place. Uh, that one ends again, San Jose 2-1, as San Jose steals three points on the road before their big week. Um, and I want to turn our attention to, I don't, I don't want to call it a rivalry, because these guys have played together for so long. Okay, Matt Beasler going home, playing in Kansas City, but for Austin, really weird kind of seeing that. Um, 
there's a very sweet moment at the end where you see Matt Beasler and Graham Zussi trading uh, jerseys. If you don't know their story, you got to know it. I mean, they came into the league together. They played all the way up until this season for the same hometown team. And then, of course, the World Cup, where they both went and represented the United States in 2014. This is the first time these two have played against each other, right? What was it... Uh... Zussi living in uh, in Beasler's mom's yes. basement, right? Yes. When they got drafted, they were so broke that they both lived in Beasler's mom's basement, right? That's just crazy to see the path that they've taken. And something to make it even that much sweeter, Graham Zussi that night, because we know that he got injured, um, that night passed Matt Beasler for the most caps uh, of a sporting player. He passed, they were tied going into the game at 294, and then Zussi representing Kansas City and against Matt Beasler gets to 295 in appearances for sporting Kansas City. But as sentimental as that moment is on the field, this was just a kind of an entertaining game, especially if you're a Kansas City fan. Opening a little bit though, Austin looked really, really good and pretty in control of things. Yeah, very much back and forth. You really couldn't ask for a better game. I'm increasingly a big John Gallagher fan. I mean, he was probably Atlanta's best attacking player last season. He's looked great in limited minutes for Austin. I mean, he's just fast. He's direct. Uh, the results aren't quite there yet for Austin. I feel like we say that every week at this point. But they look legit. They look like a good team. They look like a fun team to watch. Yeah, I've never, like I've said real quick, just to jump in here, I've, I've said it repeatedly that I don't see them as a playoff team. Like, I see them as a competitive team, but I don't see them as a playoff team. But I think that they, and it's one month down, and so I don't want to eat my word entirely. I stick to what I said. I still don't think they're making the playoffs as things stand right now. But they are a lot more competitive than I thought they were going to be. Their losses this season have come from LAFC and Sporting Kansas City. Those are two teams that are going to be tough. And also, they played away at both of them. When Austin gets their homestand, when they're able to finally open the gates there and have, oh my gosh, so many fans. I mean, the season ticket holders is, what, at 15,000 with a 20,000 waiting list? It's a ridiculous amount. Um, they're going to be entertaining to watch at a point of the season when if they are going to make the playoffs, they're going to need points. But as for this game here... I think the big part when it fell apart was uh, the ring red card. And that was just uncharacteristic. It's it's harsh, in my opinion. I You know, maybe I, I haven't watched it enough, but it, to, to get a second yellow for that, it, it seemed like it was... I don't know. I, I, I'm not sure I agree with the call on the field, but it's... Yeah, the nature of the goals for Kansas City... You kind of have to ask questions of Austin defensively. I mean, Illy, probably the least likely guy when you're looking at it to score off of a set piece, right? He's not particularly tall. No. And then hesitation from Cascante on that second goal to allow Kinda to get to it. Uh, just a little mistakes, right? Yeah. But, I mean, all things considering, um, this was Kansas City's game. They had plenty of chances and Stuver stood on his head from time to time. Like, I'm thinking that there was a time that he parried away Kinda, who had like almost a one-on-one -on -one with 
uh, Polito's back heel towards the end of the game, stopped Daniel Shallowy from getting a really nice build-up goal. And I mean, it was it was again and again and again. There was just a point where, and of course, oh, Fontas missed like a point-blank header that went into the roof of the net instead. So I mean, this looked very much like a Kansas City in control game, but especially at that turning point with Ring. Personally, I agree with it, especially considering if you watched the game, he did a tackle right before the one that he got the yellow card that could have also been a yellow, but the ref said, listen, dude, I'm not giving you a yellow, but one more foul, it's done, and 30 seconds later, it's just another foul that, albeit, yeah, it's not the worst foul in the world if you go and watch it, like, it's it's not, but he was late. By the letter of the law, he was late, and it is a second yellow, never a straight red, just a second yellow, but that's all that it took. This was, frankly, though, I think uh, promising for both teams. Um, just in, in matter of points, Kansas City's got some stuff to work on. San uh, San Antonio's got their own stuff to work on. This one, though, finishes 2-1 as Kansas City also come from behind. This is three games in a row that we've hit where the teams have come from behind to steal all three points. This next one, though, not the case. The last game that we want to highlight of this weekend the philadelphia union the reigning supporter shield champions get their very first win on the road uh 2-0 against chicago um i don't know if this is a bigger indication of philadelphia or of how bad chicago is it's a little bit of both honestly when you think about it because I, I have to give credit to Philadelphia. I, I think that there are certain players who are, re- are really growing into their roles. You look at Olivier Baizo, um, quickly becoming one of the best crossers of the ball in MLS. And he's got such a phenomenal relationship with Bedoya on that right side where they interchange, they overlap. I mean, they gave absolute hell to Jonathan Bornstein that game. And Chicago's insistence of having their outside backs go forward just made it worse for them. Uh, I, but I don't think Chicago are a bad team because you see them in certain games. And Sukulich in particular looks dangerous. Robert Barrich looks dangerous. The, you know Stojanovic had some gorgeous goals this season. The, the ideas are there. The execution maybe is not. But in this particular game, I, I think they just look totally toothless. I mean, I, I genuinely can barely remember a time they got forward, and this is at home for them. So, um, yeah. you know, good win for Philadelphia on the road to kind of get their season kick-started, right? Uh, obviously hasn't been the greatest start. They've had to contend with, uh, with CCL. Don't have any CCL games until August, so ideally that they can, uh, you know, build up a real head of steam and, and get some, some points on the board uh, going forward. And uh, Corey Burke... Five goals against Chicago. Wow. I mean, there's always those players that have just that team that they can just always score against. And I I don't think that anybody's first name that they think of is a Corey Burke, to be honest. You know, you're always thinking of like, <laughs> okay, like when I play this team, like this this guy's going to just destroy, you know. But uh, Or like I was thinking of Pozuelo and, and NYCFC. I feel like every time mm-hmm. he pulls off something – but, uh, yeah, no, that's kind of an interesting thing there. I think the bigger thing here is the fact that they did, you hit you hinted at it, with CCL, they were able to get the result they needed, that draw against Atlanta 1-1, that was able to send them through. 
and then just later on in the week get the Chicago win. It put them on the right track. Um, there's still, I think, a lot to be desired. I'm not totally sold on Fontana in the 10. Um, there's times that I like it, and there's times that I think he looks a little lost. I don't know if that's just me. Um, so as a Philadelphia guy yourself, I'm kind of curious, especially considering the acquisition that has just made announced their new attacking midfielder. I don't know his name off the top of my head, um, but I, I saw the highlight that MLS posted of his uh, little like Cruyff, like six yards from goal that sent everybody that way. And I was like, okay, that was a very nice move. But I, it's just kind of a potentially a competition coming there for the spot. I'm not even going to try and pronounce it. We'll just say that he's Hungarian. It's a crazy <laughs> name. I knew that. Uh, look, I don't think Fontana is going to be in the 10 going forward. Uh, the moment that tactically things were changed where we saw uh, Jimmy Montero in that spot and then it was uh, you know, a little bit of change around. In this particular game, Jack McGlynn got his first start out there in the shuttle role. I thought he looked phenomenal. No, he did. Probably did. should have had two goals, honestly. Uh, but, you know, even if it's, you know, some shifting around where you have uh, Martinez in the defensive midfield role, albeit uh, he got an extra two-game suspension from MLS for that red card. He's also suspended in CCL. <laughs> so we are going to see Leon Flack at the, uh, at the number six Who for the foreseeable future. For, in my opinion, Flack did look good in the number six. From what I've he seen. has covered the most ground of any player in MLS. I can't give you the specific number. I think it's around six to seven miles per game. But 67? the guy has six to seven miles per oh, game. Oh, wow. Running. I heard 67. And I was oh, like, that is no, you would not so, correct. Right? <laughs> but I'd have to jump um, in and stop you there. Six to seven no, makes more sense. It's absolutely phenomenal. The guy came in from the German second division, basically an unknown. You know, 20-year-old German-American kid. People thought, oh, you know, maybe he'll be the the backup to um, to Martinez. Although, frankly, we have so many midfielders in that squad, it's ridiculous. But it covers an insane amount of ground. He, he's got the, the second-best passing percentage uh, to only Jimmy Montero. Uh, leads the team in tackles. Uh, just, you know, another phenomenal find by the, uh, the Union front office. Yeah, I think that uh, it was it was a really good move, and it was kind of interesting to see Philadelphia as somebody who hits the homegrown so much be able to uh, go and make uh, this kind of acquisition and somebody who's going to have such an immediate impact. But I think it's done really well. Um, again, this one does finish. Philadelphia Union get their first win, 2-0 over Chicago Fire away. We're not going to get into the uh, Chicago... Uh, I've heard some cries for uh, Wiki to be fired. We'll maybe tackle that another day. Um, hopefully they can get things turned around in the Windy City. But Evie, I want to keep an eye forward, okay? We're about to get to uh, the Columbus rebrand. But before we do that, before we have our special guest, Ty, um, join us, we had the Nations League preliminary roster get dropped. For just a few minutes, we're not going to break down as much of the roster because this is not the official roster. This is just the pool of players that Burr Halter has said. These are the players I'm going to select from when the time comes for me to name the roster, which will be in about two weeks is the deadline. I think it's May 25th. Um, and I believe that this is also the team that will play in the friendly against Costa Rica on June 9th. 
that has been announced for Rio Tinto Stadium. So they're going to get three games out of these guys, which I think is important. Um, but let's kind of go a little bit into it. Even though this isn't the final roster, are there some names on here that just kind of perhaps shock you a little bit as to why this person was included? Yeah, there's definitely a handful. I mean, looking at it, Miles Robinson's on there. Atlanta don't exactly have a good track record <laughs> when it comes no. to letting guys actually play for the national team. Um, a couple of guys that we have some questions over just from a quality standpoint. I mean, Christian Roldan's on there. Um, and then just some more surprising names just in terms of, you know, whether they'll actually have some involvement. I mean, Paul Ariola. Yeah. I saw that on there. there? Is he back? I mean, yeah, he's very much part of the pool, but whether he'd actually play a role from just being, you know, available to play. Yeah. Most of the other guys, I mean, it's David Cho is in there. Yeah. I I thought was the number one with the U23s. Okay, that's great. He probably won't make the roster if we're honest, just looking at the other keepers. Nice to see Walker Zimmerman in there. Yes. Uh, Own out Otisawi's in there as well. Kendall and Costa, Luca Della Torre. Tyler Boyd finally makes his return to the national yes. team. I remember when that was the uh-huh. big get for Burhalter. Remember before before the death days and, and whatnot? That was the big get right there. Yeah, dual, dual nationals are an interesting conversation when it comes to the U S national team and then Conrad De La Fuente, I mean, great to see him in there. Um, mm-hmm. he's, you know, had a couple goals there for the, uh, Barcelona B side this season. So not too many guys where you look at it and you go, you know, we're chomping at the bit, the fact that they're in there, but yeah. more so, uh, you know, you, you ask some, some questions, you know, Oh, in a little bit of surprise, not like utter total shock. Yeah. Um, the exclusions are, for me, probably more notable. I would think. Yeah, I think when you when you do just for, as a quick note with when you look at the inclusions, I mean, David Ochoa and these guys that you mentioned um, that like the rolled on and whatnot, we're likely not going to see them make the final roster. Um, it's kind of interesting to see where he values the depth seeing that we have a 40-player pool, because you know that he's got to have his first choice lineup if we're going into World Cup qualifying this year in those 40 players, right? Because this is not the time to toy around with it. So that's kind of interesting. Uh, Notable exclusions right off the bat before we move on. Uh, Michael Bradley, Josie Altador, the Toronto duo, they are not in this pool. But honestly, I'm not too surprised by that. They're just notable names. But what do you have? Are there different names or those names? They're in there, but I mean, look, Bradley, I didn't expect him to be in there anyway. Altidore, he was somewhat of a factor so far under Berhalter, just in terms of he, he's a guy that we kind of think of as still part of the pool. But frankly, with the injuries that he's had again already this season and how some of these forwards are progressing, I'm not sure that he's going to play much of an impact. It more so surprises me to see some guys who've been regulars no Aaron Herrera, no Bill Hamid, no Jesus Ferreira, uh, no Jonathan Lewis. I would have liked to see a Chris Mueller or a Georgie Mihailovic. And then, you know, no, uh, no Soto, no Uli Linez. Um, a lot of the younger guys. Yeah, again, a, a Bobasi who really does not seem favored by, uh, by this coaching staff. And then... No Williamson. 
Yeah, no Williamson, no Bello, who again, Atlanta, it's an awkward situation. And no Efra Alvarez, who was named to Mexico's 40-man. Oh, so I we did know not that that's know pretty that. much, a, a, you know, done and dusted. Yeah. But my only question is, you know, are we going to pull Gold Cup from the 13 MLSers? What's the situation there? Because there is no overlap. Nations League is June 3rd through the 6th. Gold Cup is July 10th through August 1st. Conceivably, you could have two completely separate squads, but... I mean, does this mean that the the guys who aren't part of this 40 aren't going to be part of the Gold Cup roster? I I think that's a great question. Um, it'll be interesting to see when that final roster is named at the end of the month what kind of direction Burhalter is taking because it might be a little bit more clear. Um, my my take is I think we're going to see a much more European for this Nations League um, with some with some MLS players because that's his going to be his first choice lineup. Nations League is what I think he's using as my World Cup qualifying roster. Gold Cup, I wouldn't be surprised to see some of those guys, Bill Hamid, Aaron Herrera that you mentioned, who those two are injured right now, so it makes sense that they're perhaps not on this one, but um, could play a factor moving forward. Again, when this roster does drop, we'll break it down in full for you, but guys, something that broke earlier this week, okay? I'm a, I'm a segue here. Something that broke on Monday, officially been rumored, the Columbus Crew soccer club is no longer the columbus crew they're now just columbus soccer club not only that not with the name change they also have a very questioned uh brand change with their logo um that's getting a lot of heat online as we move forward with this uh we're going to be bringing on um our friend um and uh columbus fan for sure uh ty fisher um, some of you guys may know Ty um, from the reporting that he does. He's a regular contributor to Massive Report and to SB Nation, um, being able to uh, write those articles and be able to be a contributor for all the things that you see online with them. He was also at the protest that have begun happening outside the front office yesterday. He's got a great insight and one that we're looking forward to kind of talking to him about. Uh, Ty, Ty, how's it going? Not too good. Not too bad, guys. How are you? Logos, to be honest, in the whole league. And so I didn't see the need for that. I didn't see a need for a rebrand nine weeks into the season either, though. See, the thing about the thing about the logo is when we got our logo in 2015, the, the circle one, mm-hmm. fans hated it. They hate they absolutely hated it. They because it was uh, they, they thought it was too German because mm-hmm. it's circle. You think about Bayern Munich. Uh, BVB, uh, uh, Werder Bremen, you know, they have their, the circle. And then about as time rolls on, yeah, they started to get behind it because now it has 96 when we were, when we were founded, it has the checkerboard, uh, which is what a lot of our flags are, the nine stripes, which is the nine founding members of the league. And then they started to get behind it. Now everybody loves it. I'm just thinking if this is probably going to happen with the same one. Fans are going to mm-hmm. hate it. As time rolls on, they're going to start becoming used to it because it's now it's there for I God knows how long. But there, it's, go, it's going to be there. And then they're going to have to start uh, start embracing it. And then, you know, everything's going to be okay. Okay. I'm just waiting for uh, Dave Chappelle to buy the team and turn it to his C logo. Yeah. <laughs> 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 Here I want to I want to ask you something. Um, 
Okay, so we so the logo set that aside. Like, hey, it's not bad. What about the name change though? Like, do you think that because now it's Columbus Soccer Club, and the mm-hmm. crew is just like a nickname for the club. It, correct me if I'm wrong, but that's just what I'm seeing. Is it's now we refer to them as the crew, but the team's name is Columbus Soccer Club. What about that change? Um, yes. So the crew is just like how we're also referred to as the Black and Gold, is the nickname. Um, I'm not happy about it because we, in 96, we were the crew. We were the Columbus crew. Um, and then we rebranded in 2015, Columbus crew SC still has that name with it. But then you look at, you look at Atlanta United, they don't have the Atlanta five stripes, Orlando city aren't the Orlando lions or Orlando city lions. They're Orlando city. Um, you look over in England, the Arsenal aren't Arsenal Gunners, they're Arsenal FC. Liverpool aren't the Liverpool Reds, they're Liverpool FC. So I get it, but then again, it's also kind of disheartening. Yeah. Because anybody that says, hey, what are you doing tonight? They're not going to say, and people brought this up yesterday, they're not going to say, I'm going to a Columbus SC game. They're going to say, I'm going to a crew game, because that is what we're known for. People can still say that because it's still affiliated with the team. It's just not going to be branded professionally and officially, if that makes any sense. Yeah, I guess that makes sense. I think it's interesting, though, to see that change, especially when they're trying to like build a new identity. Because really, from my understanding, this new ownership is trying to capitalize on, I think we are doing a lot better than, uh, than some Columbus Crew fans write about now. But... Uh, you're there. You're there. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yep. Take, take uh, us through it. Yesterday, yesterday was a, uh, was a day, I shall say. The official rebrand wasn't supposed to roll out until today. Um, but uh, talking with people, it got pushed back. It got pushed up to yesterday. Um, I was there amongst, I believe there was about 50 other uh, crew fans um, on a Monday at 4 o'clock, which is a work day for typical people, um, they weren't happy. They just simply were not happy. Um, there was a, a lot of chanting going on about we demand no rebrand. Um, and it seemed as though the, uh, the front office broke a lot of trust with, uh, with the group supporters. Yeah. I mean, this is a team and, and Avery, I want, even I, we talked about this a lot. Columbus crew is like been the team heading into t- this season. That was just like, they're going to win everything, right? They just had such a class showing last year. Caleb Porter is able to just do a ton of amazing things. Darlington Nagby, Lucas Elrion. They just brought life into Columbus. Not only that, they brought a trophy. And this all happened with the front office changing. But now it's the very same front office that is changing again. And not in a way that they talk to the fans. I don't know how involved Ty were fans in this process? Because from what I'm understanding, they were not involved at all. So there was, uh, this was brought up to a select few members of the Nordeca leadership. Uh, If you don't know, the Nordeca is the main uh, supporters, is the supporters uh, section for uh, for the Columbus crew. Um, They were brought to, they were brought this, uh, about, I believe, Friday, I believe, uh, Friday or Saturday, um, 
And uh, of course, I'm not going to say any names, but they were forced to sign NDAs. Uh, they couldn't talk about it. Um, the only thing that they could do was just sit back and watch the uh, watch the fire burn. Um, oh wow! Yeah. Um, so the it's it's really hard to say without trying to spill names and everything like that, but I can't because of course NDA uh, stuff like that. I don't want them to get in legal trouble anyway, but um, it was rumored to be happening Tuesday, today, but everybody was talking about it during the first five minutes of our game against DC United on Saturday, which is yeah. when I heard about it. Um, I was getting messages uh, like crazy, and I ended up writing somebody asking about it, and they basically told me, uh, don't say anything. Just say you don't know anything outside of what you've seen on Twitter and other stuff. So that right there, I was like, all right. And then I just had to be the bad guy. I was like, my hands are tied. I can't really say anything, which led them to believe that it's happening. And it it is. I don't know. Avery, what do you – you saw the rebrand. What are you thinking of it? I know because you're a Philadelphia fan, but you're just also a soccer fan, and it was kind of hard to watch. I mean, I've got two contrasting thoughts, right? On the one hand, this whole situation screams Super League. It, <laughs> you know, based on, on everything Ty is saying, the, the secrecy of the leak, like, just such poor PR and management on behalf of a team. But we've seen this increasingly with MLS clubs. I mean, you look at the, the CF Montreal situation, you look at the Chicago Fire rebrand that got reversed because the fans were so mad. Houston Dynamo with the, the baseball-looking logo. Uh, it, it's just these non-sports people with no design backgrounds consulting MLS clubs. Fans aren't included. They're not asked. And it's, you know, MLS teams want to be more European, right? They're simplifying it. They're breaking it down. But these logos are so boring. You know, it looks like something you or and I could... I don't know, put together in five minutes in MSP. Dang, that kind of that's. I mean, is he wrong, Ty? I don't think he's wrong. Um, if if you want me to be honest, I'm not opposed to the logo. Actually, oh really? Yeah, I I think I think it. Don't get me wrong. the The other logo, yes, it was uh, it was part of the pre court era. Although he had nothing to do with it, he just helped execute the rollout of Columbus Crusade. But that was one thing Anthony Precourt got right was the the inclusion of that logo because of all the different factors of it. This particular one, I'm not actually opposed to it. I, now that I've seen it in person, I've seen it on like uh, merchandise and whatnot, I'm actually not opposed of it. It really? actually looks a lot sleeker. And the video that they came out, the, the crew rolled out with, it looks a lot, you know, cleaner they make of the uh, the triangle that i was literally about to about. ask like maybe you can solve the mystery of that bermuda triangle going on in the corner that nobody knows <laughs> so by my understanding this is just me um if you look at the where our new stadium is being built there is a uh triangle looking area where water splits off you are stretching 
You are stretching so much right there. You, you, I want you to hear what you just told me, right? There's this triangle-looking thing, and there's some water that goes over there. But, yeah, it's monumental enough to be on our crest. Like, oh, I have no idea. That's a big mystery to me. It's going to remain a mystery forever. But I, really I like is. how you're trying to embrace it because if I was in your shoes, frankly – I don't know. It's cool that you like it. And I think the merchandise, if I'm being honest, I've seen like some of the jerseys. It looks kind of nice. It looks very sleek. But I thought Columbus had one of the best. The fact that we won a trophy, new stadium, like the fans are excited. Let's do this. Right. And, and yeah. that's, that's, I think is, is critical. It doesn't seem like this, obviously it's new. It's going to be interesting to see. Cause obviously we saw Chicago do the same thing. And then after a few weeks, they listened to the fans and were like, all right, okay, guys, we screwed up, which I thought was a – you never see front offices do that. And they literally came forward and they're like, guys, you're right. We didn't involve you in the process. We messed up. Let's do this together. From a Columbus crew guy, you're at the protest. You're there. Everybody can see the feedback online. There's thousands and thousands of comments and retweets and all this stuff going on. But as somebody there and somebody who has a little bit more of ties and connections, do you personally see – this front office taking an approach like Chicago saying like, guys, we messed up. Let's work together in the process. Or do you see them saying this is how it is? Um, knowing the ownership that we have now in, uh, JW Johnson, Jimmy and D Haslam and Dr. Pete, Dr. Pete of all being with the team since 96, as he was their team doctor. Um, I can see it happening but not in the time that Chicago took. Mm. I can see it happening a little bit later down the road. Uh, maybe as soon as we hit maybe like the, the summer window, possibly. Um, but not in like two weeks like Chicago did. But when mm -hmm. we look at the teams around the league, yeah, of course you bring up like Orlando City, but the, the big teams, Seattle Sounders, Portland Timbers, LA yep. Galaxy, when you look at these from around the league, I still see that they don't all have the traditional names. And that's personally one thing that I liked about the league. And it sounds like a lot of the crew, like fans, are kind of in that same boat. Yeah, I mean, I, I feel like we're caught in two minds, right? Because on the one hand, okay, yeah, we have this unique system. We don't have promotion relegation. We have playoffs. We have, you know, a draft and that kind of thing. You know, we have these ridiculous names. Don't get me wrong. Some of them are a little bit silly. San Jose Earthquakes. <laughs> but it's quintessentially American, right? You know, something that we're known for. You look at any other sport in this country, uh, and you, you look at, you know, I don't know, uh, Oklahoma City Thunder, you know that's an American Yeah. Team. Make yeah. no mistake about it, right? And, you know, I get they're, they're trying to appeal to more global market, and, oh, the ideal is that we always want to be more like the English, right? Because there's this, this fetish, fetishization of European soccer in, in the U.S., right? So we have all this exposure through, you know, NBC and, and all that kind of stuff now. But, like, sometimes you just got to, like, em embrace being American, and if, and if, if I can add one thing really quick, the, the, biggest, the biggest thing yesterday, um, despite the uh, the upsetness and the uh, the sadness of the crew being taken away, was uh, a guy named Kevin uh, pretty much 
took took the words right out of uh, my mouth when I was reading everything online. Um, the main the quote was, "Do not create rift with the front office because you don't want them. They don't want to be your enemy. You don't want to be their enemy, and whatnot." And I think it's just ridiculous how I have seen comments of people just parading their 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 uh, their season ticket rep and putting FO workers uh, personal info online and harassing and attacking them like that's not cool like that's not okay yeah um, that that personally made me lose a not even a little bit but a good chunk of respect for people who I would who people who I considered family going to games from 2011 up until up until now. No, I think you have every right to say that. That's I think some people have been able if you're following along online, um, if you go look at it, there's been some things where the Nordec, as you talked about earlier, has had to come out and say, guys, like, you gotta stop this. And yep. I didn't realize how big of a thing it was until I started seeing there's literally videos of people like canceling their season tickets and just being complete jerks and and like you can want change and the fact is the matter is there's a lot of people that aren't a fan of how whether or not you like the logo whether or not you like the team name change you can be upset at the process of how it was done and i think there's a lot of people that are upset of the fact that the fans weren't included until like you said like the weekend before and it just is disheartening but taking it a step further and being jerks to people who had no control or say it's a step far like yeah if you want to cancel your season tickets do that but you don't have to curse out the the, like the 20 year old worker who's doing this to get through school like to you know there's there's levels to this and yeah voice your frustration but like you said don't take it too far don't harass people don't harass their families that's just that's just unfair Yep, yeah, I have I have I have friends who have done that for a living. Those guys don't make nearly enough money to be dealing with that nonsense. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, no. <laughs> exactly. It'll be interesting to see though how well the crew front office does respond to this because I'm sure that they're aware of of everything, whether or not fans are handling it right or the front office is. There's a lot of chaos. There's a lot of mayhem, and it's going to be interesting following this story moving forward. Again, the Columbus crew. Soccer club is now just the Columbus Soccer Club. I'm going to get have to get used to saying that. Um, but nevertheless, um, we really appreciate Ty. Ty, do you want to uh, shout out any of the and the work? And, and if you guys want to, hit him up with a follow on Twitter. He'll drop his handle here in a second. Um, he can get you all the latest on Columbus Crew stuff. Like I talked about, he does work with uh, Massive Report and SB Nation. Ty, you want to kind of sign yourself off here for us? Yeah, uh, thank you guys for uh, for having me. Um, this was uh, the first time I actually got to speak my opinion because uh, I know, know if I put my stuff on social media, I'm going to get a lot of backlash. But, you know, it is what it is. Um, but, yeah, I mean, if you guys want to stay up to date, follow MasterReport.com or follow me on Twitter uh, at MR, Tyler F, capital T, capital N, and uh, stay in the know with the uh, Columbus Soccer Club. Exactly. Ty, thanks so much for joining us, man. It's been It's been our pleasure. We hope to have you again sometime. We appreciate you. Thank you. Thanks, guys. That was fun having Ty on there. And he had a little bit of a different opinion than I was actually expecting. Uh, We knew a little bit of it, but he hit on some really important things there. It was interesting to kind of see the process of what what the fans saw. Um, Him being like having those connections and whatnot was interesting to see that they really weren't in the loop. 
um, and those non-disclosure agreements, but also kind of the hate and the protests that have been going on since. Guys, whether or not you love or you hate the rebrand, do it civilly, uh, express your frustration, accept your support, however you want to do it, but make sure you do it with re respect for the people uh, around you. But it was, really, it was really kind of interesting. I'm personally hoping that they kind of follow Chicago's track because my respect for Chicago went through the roof when they opened up and were kind of owning up to a mistake and being more transparent in the process moving forward. Um, and yeah. there's a rebound I'm looking forward to, but what are you thinking? Uh, well, folks, we get that you're passionate. We share your passion. We love this sport. We love this league. We love our individual teams, but I can't believe it even has to be said, please don't release people's personal information online. Yeah. You're putting their, you know, their livelihoods, their lives, their, you know, their children, their, their spouses at risk with yeah. this stuff. And it's just, it's it's not good. When you start bringing in somebody's kids over a rebrand of a team name, you might need to take a step back, cool off, you know, just recenter because that is that is too far. But all around, it was very insightful. There was a lot more than just that that he said that I thought was interesting, and it was um, important, I think, to get a take of somebody. And I really liked how he pointed out that this logo that we are all like, guys, it was one of the best in the league. Everybody didn't like it at first either. And that's something that I didn't consider. Um, granted, I really don't like this one. So Yeah, I, I had genuinely forgotten about that, but he's absolutely spot on. No, he is. It's, I don't want to toot my own horn, but Philadelphia actually did um, a good job in that respect because not a lot of people know, but they actually did do a slight rebrand a couple of years ago. They actually made basically the logo just slightly brighter and they changed the shades and it does look a million times better than the original logo, huh. but you wouldn't even notice if you hadn't been following the team. Yeah. I, I had no idea until you mentioned right there. It's, I don't know. There's things like that with the rebrands or there's some teams that do it. Well, I think of, I guess, Philadelphia, but I think of Chicago, especially taking that, making that mistake and then coming forward, but also looking at teams like, I think Kansas City, you have to go back to like 2011, 2012. They did everything spot on there and kind of changing the whole culture that we now expect there. And then there's some more questionable ones with, uh, I guess not the Montreal Impact, uh, Montreal Club de Foot. Um, and then Houston Dynamo, I heard that some people are really split on that one as they went through their rebrand earlier this season. Um, so it's gonna. this is going to be a storyline to follow for sure. We'll be giving you regular updates on here. Be sure to follow him on Twitter and be sure to follow us on Twitter. I'm going to throw that plug out now. If you follow us, if you haven't already, it's at the MLSDG podcast. That's where we release all these episodes, everything soccer throughout the week, your breaking news, up-to-dates, game information, all that jazz can be found on there. Avery, we're coming to the end of the show, and we want to go off on a, on a high note here, okay? We're one month, one month into the season, and we've already tackled a lot. There's been a lot of exciting moments, a lot of sentimental moments. But in the end, this is a game of winners and losers and the occasional draw. But but we're going to focus on the winners today. <laughs> I I had to throw that in there because it's just it's it's the league, it's the game. But we want to highlight some winners and losers. Let's let's start on a good note. This this month's winners we broke down a few of them. Avery, what's one that you want to highlight as one of the winners from this first month? Genuinely, can I name the entire Seattle organization? 
I mean, my yeah. goodness. Yeah. Credit to Brian Schmetzer for totally changing the formation and the approach. You know, we get that Jordan Morris is out for the season. Lodero's been injured, and yet they're still rolling. I mean, yeah. Will Bruin back carving himself a career in MLS. I think Matt Doyle said it at, at one point in time that he was going to be a guy that scored 200 goals in this league. Genuinely, when he's fit, he's just a terrific target striker. And I think the the way that they set up has really taken advantage of that. And it's nice to see him succeeding. Uh, you know, the same can be said for Alex Roldan finding a nice niche oh, yeah. at the right back spot. I know a lot of questions were asked when they let Kelvin Neerdam go in the summer. And frankly, when Roldan started over him in a couple of uh, playoff games last season. And guys look great. And then uh, New Tolo as well in that team. I mean, going from a guy who was regarded as very good going forward for a left back, but not particularly good defensively, to a standout defensive center back in a back three. I mean, talk about a transformation and from a playing standpoint. Yeah, no, I think I think that they are a fantastic example, especially it's important to consider everybody had them one month ago. They were not the best team in the West. They were a team that everybody thought, okay, they're going to make the playoffs at around the fifth or sixth seed because they've taken some big steps backwards. No, Schmetzer is on top of it. The tactical changes have been critical, super duper important. Um, and some other teams that I think that have kind of thrived this month, um, I'm going to throw two at you, two teams. I think Philadelphia deserves a shout-out, and I'm surprised you didn't even shout them out because being a homer yourself, but but I think just the fact we'll that they've been there. able to... We'll <laughs> the fact they've been able... The CCL is huge, right? And then I think one other team, I'll play a little homer this time, Real Salt Lake. Everybody had them the bottom of the league, and they have just been able to... Of course, they had that loss this last week, but really they've had some dominant wins. They've got a game in hand, and they are looking just tactically entertaining and productive, which is not something that we have seen from them in years. Yeah. I think that uh, there's a number of guys that really deserve a shout out. Rubio Rubin with three goals and two assists coming up from USL. Uh, he's a guy that I've always been a fan of was really fun to watch for different US youth teams. Just didn't really work out for him career wise. Thus far, he was, you know, over in Europe in a couple different spots. Did have some good time in, in Holland and then came to, to play in Mexico. Wasn't doing so great. Went into the U.S. lower divisions and he's finally found himself a, a nice niche in RSL. Uh, Kyle Duncan, top 10 in tackles and intercept, interceptions so far this season. Hasn't quite done it offensively yet, uh, but it will come, especially given the, the system that they're in. As far as the New York Red Bulls organization as a whole, you have to give credit to Kevin Thelwell. I mean, hit the nail on the head with Andrew Gutman, Fabio, Frankie Amaya. The sightings have just been great uh, so far this season. Yeah. Um, and I, I know that you love these two guys as well, but Kate Cowell and Kalen Clark. I mean, oh, two yes. goals, three assists, three goals, one assist. It's what you want to see in MLS. Great and, young American players getting the job done. Yeah, 17, 18-year-old kids. The thing I want to highlight here... Um, few weeks ago we had uh blaine riffle on we did a fantasy thing and i said these two would have a breakout season this was before the season began this was several weeks before we had our little draft league 
And I took them pretty, like, surprisingly high. And I got some flack from people. And I was like, guys, literally in the draft, I'm like, this guy's going to have a breakout season. I I am tied for first in our league. And I'm going to credit it to completely to Cade Cowell and Caden Clark. I think that they have done fantastic. Uh, they've proven that the youth of the league is something that should be trusted and invested in. And their futures are incredibly, incredibly bright. Um one other name I'm going to throw out at you before we head over to our losers, uh, Chicharito. Of course, we got we got to talk about him for a second. We talked about him earlier. Not going to gloat over him all this much, but it does need to be recognized if there's any winner after the terrible season that he had last year on and off the field of just heartache and heartbroken. Uh, this season, you've been able to see him succeed and leave literally everything on the field. Like You watch him, and he'll pass out at the end of games and with tears of joy and He's become a real person for the league, I think, this year. And with six goals in hand or something like that, it's all respect to him. This is going to be a very fun season for him. But yeah, Six goals, one assist, the numbers do not lie. No. And so that's one to keep your eye on there, folks. Some ones that you probably want to avert your eyes, okay? You want to turn away as quick as you can. We highlighted some of them, but let's kind of let's kind of hit a few here. Minnesota right off the bat. I don't want to spend too much time because we broke it down a lot, but specifically Adrian Heath, this guy is not, uh, wow. He's, he's either really, really got something planned for us this summer, or this is just really bad stuff from him. But Minnesota, Minnesota, your fans deserve more. And I know the players want to give more, but something's got to change there. The question is what, and then one thing that I don't think they have as much control over, but arguably one of the biggest losers of the month, DC United. Okay, I think, I and I, I don't want to hear your thoughts on this, but they have injuries everywhere. I believe they only had 14 fit players um, uh, just this last week or two. I get why you would include them. But I think, if anything, we have to give credit to Hernan Lasada for doing as well as he has with yes, that. Yes, yes. Because the resources don't seem to be there right now. They really didn't sign too many guys in the offseason. But he's having them play really nicely. Um, and the guys who are there, especially some of the younger guys, are getting opportunities, which we love to see. Uh, but we knew this was coming. They have the smallest squad in all of MLS, as far as I can tell. Something like, I don't know, maybe 23 guys in the entire squad. So this isn't the first time that they haven't been able to... In fact, I think maybe so far this entire season, they haven't been able to name a, a full bench. Uh, yeah. So this is going to continue to be an issue throughout the season. Um, yeah. But it, I... I think and i think i said this in in one of our earlier podcasts as well is very likely to be a situation where dc sees what lasada is capable of in that first season and says okay now we'll back you now we'll give you the funds yeah to go out yeah and honestly we could see some of these homegrown guys flourish and you know maybe they get a nice chunk of money for uh, moses nyman or kevin paredes yeah i i i want to clarify i think they've got like four points through these first four games and considering all the injuries that's really not bad at all um and, and especially considering the fact that i think they've scored three own goals and they've shot themselves in the foot so many times with a depleted squad um i believe in losada i believe dc united can change things but 
it was important to get Ola Kamara back on the field. Now you got to get some other people, Steve Birnbaum, Paul Ariola. You got to get some of these guys back from injury that you know what they're going to be able to provide. The only reason they're my losers is purely because of injuries. I think Lasada has a bright future there and DCL around. Um, another one that I included that we talked about a second ago, but the Columbus Crew social media managers definitely have had a rough. <laughs> and the fact that we put them in the losers of the first month and it's only been two days should suggest to you of how much feedback and crap that they are going through. Our hearts go to them. They had no control over this. They're getting paid just to handle it the best they can, but definitely, definitely a loser in this situation. Ah. I cannot tell you guys how many posts that we've had to filter through. So we try to keep it in a situation where we try to not have duplicates and just, you know, funnel everybody into one kind oh. of whole conversation. And There's so every, many other, every other post coming through some right now, we get it. People are passionate. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it really is. They're... Everybody's very passionate. Everybody's got their own opinion. Obviously, we heard ties, and there's some good stuff there. The last one that personally I have as a loser for the month, um, the Portland Timbers, just because, guys, I get that the MLSsoccer.com has them ranked in the top 10. I'm not saying they're a bad team, but what I'm saying is they are second to the bottom in the West. That's just a fact. Four games through. They have had a bit of a tougher schedule, albeit, but one of their losses comes to Vancouver. They were able to grab a stoppage time goal in, frankly, kind of a, I don't want to say a lucky free kick, but this last weekend to salvage a goal deep into stoppage time. And it's just something where, yes, they've had CCL. And this is one of the things that we've noticed with dominant teams in CCL. Um, they come into the season and they have to juggle both and they put the priority in CCL. It doesn't pan out after a round or two and they're now stuck in a hole Portland fell victim to that same trap. I believe in their ability to turn it around. I'll believe it in a whole lot more whenever Sebastian Blanco is healthy. But uh, that's... Yeah, the, the thing is, the, the issues have been defensively when we're looking at it, right? I mean, they're, yeah. they're conceding goals that they shouldn't be. Uh, we, you know, a lot's been made of the offensive injuries. We get it. There's no Blanco. Valeri's had his issues. All of their strikers have had issues. But at the end of the day... They spent a lot of money on Van Rankin and on Claudio Bravo, and they have a you know a, a well-established center back pairing in Zubarich and uh, and Mabiala, and uh, you know those guys are are playing like amateurs. Yeah, I, I mean, here's just look at the scores for a second. Um, obviously, I, I highlighted that Vancouver lost one zero. They lost. Uh, they did get. They have one win over Houston two one. But then they lose to FC Dallas, who came into that game winless. 4-1, to one, they lost that game. And then they had the Club America game that they lost 3-1. to one. And then, of course, they just lost to Seattle 2-1 to one at home, which is just makes it so much more difficult. Um, they are going to be playing against San Jose this weekend. That's going to be kind of a fun game to watch. I hope they can turn things around. But for that reason, whether it's defensive, whether it's offensive, they've only scored i think three goals this whole season in in uh mls play um four goals and it's uh not enough um through four games to get four goals um especially with the expectations the portland timbers have so whether you credit to defensive problems offensive problems the bottom line is there are some problems that i don't think are getting the attention that they should 
Um, but I do believe in Portland's ability to get out of it. But for that reason, they are my first month loser. I don't know. Do you have anybody else? I have a, I have a couple guys that I think okay. we should highlight. Throw, throw them. It feels a little bit harsh, but Carlos Bella, I mean, one game, 22 minutes all season, had a brutal time with injuries last season, and it just seems like it's continuing again yeah. uh, this season. You talked about it earlier. We don't have a timetable for when he's coming back. Uh, Ramon Abila. Oh, yeah. Pres- presumably he's fit. I, I haven't heard otherwise, but still hasn't really cracked the starting lineup. Uh, played three games, started one, no goals or assists. Uh, Lucho Acosta has been kept out with visa issues, which seems to be an increasing issue right now. I don't know if that's uh, a policy thing. I don't know if that's a COVID thing, but you're seeing that with a number of guys in MLS this season. Yep. Uh, and from an actual playing perspective, Michael Barrios, I mean, he came over in that blockbuster trade from Dallas to Colorado, no goals, no assists through four games. 13 shots, just four on target. Mm. And you you watch the way he plays. He's creating chances. But I, I talked about it in a previous podcast. When you're a guy who's taken a shot from, you know, 180 degrees where you're basically parallel to the goal. Yeah. Just poor decision making. Yeah. And uh, one that I think that uh, everyone will expect and you are certainly a big fan of uh, Chris Armas. <laughs> yes, mean, yes, yes. Toronto yes. are one of four winless teams in MLS. And frankly, they're the biggest name out of all of them. I mean, the others are Chicago, oh, Cincinnati, and Minnesota. And at this point, I'm asking myself, who gets fired first, him or Armas? E- or, or sorry, him or Heath? Ever, you almost let me go an entire show without talking about how much I just do not like that hiring of Chris <laughs> Armas. Because as soon as you said it, I just lit up with just, a, oh, a rage. Because, oh my goodness, I, I don't know what Toronto was thinking. Yeah, they were able to have some kind of a little bit of a miracle in CCL, but that was very short-lived. And now they're in a hole in, in MLS and it's not been pretty. I get they're playing in Florida. It's tough circumstances not being able to actually be at home. And I do feel for the team in that regard. Chris Armas, though, I think the system is just flawed. The personnel, and I get that they haven't had Pozuelo. They haven't had Altador or Akinola until just barely. And they do have the blockbuster signing of uh, Jefferson Saltedo, which I am excited about. But I don't want to – you don't put all of your all of your – baggage on one guy and expect him to be able to pull a bunny out of a hat. And what about we, the, the blockbuster signing of everyone's favorite Dom Dwyer? I was just about to say that during this recording, they just dropped Dom Dwyer, the free agent. I knew he was working out with them in the off season, especially because he's in Orlando uh, and they're in Orlando. So it was almost like a match made in heaven when he got uh, his con out of contract with Orlando this season. But that's just one that uh, actually I think kind of makes sense. Um, knowing that Armas is a press, 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 press guy. And knowing that Dom Dwyer has no problem doing that. And Josie Altador isn't going to. And Io Akinola isn't healthy enough to on a regular basis. And so anywho, I get that some of it's injury. I get some of it's location. I guess the acquisitions of Saltado and Dwyer are going to be important, but is it going to be enough? That's I mean, it's a match made in heaven until he goes down injured again. Yeah, you raise a good point there. 
hopefully he can stay healthy enough to see the field for about 45 minutes. But um, just that with the, the pedigree and the uh, resume that he comes into it with, it is impressive, albeit recently with some injuries. Yes, that is a definite loser, though. Chris Armis, man. Chris Armis. It's the Chris Armis watch. When is he out? When is Adrian Heath out? When is, uh, I guess, Wiki from uh, Rafael Wiki from Chicago? There's some coaches that are already on the hot seat. There's our losers. I don't know. Do you have any more? Nope. It's everybody on my end. There's our losers. There's our losers for the month. Of course, we had to end on a low note to get you guys all sad about your teams or your coaches if you heard them there. But, uh, guys, this is always exciting. We're pumped to be back. Um, thank you again for all understanding the fact that I have finals and I have a future I'm trying to work for, but this is just something that's very exciting. We have another week ahead of us. Remember MLS does kick off this week. Um, a game I'm going to throw at you guys. Okay. Seattle, San Jose is going to be kicking off Wednesday night. Tune into that. That's going to be the opening night this week as we being in our first double header of this year. Other than that though, guys, we love you. We appreciate you. And as always, this is the MLS DG podcast for the fans, by the fans. Love you guys. Have a great night.